Welcome to Board Game Famous, the only board gaming podcast about getting free stuff. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> I'm, st- I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I'm sticking to it. <laughs> That's fine. I will get used to that eventually. <laughs> By the time you get used to it, I'm going to start showing up to uh, the podcast wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> To our repeat listeners, welcome back. And to all of our new listeners, how did you find us? So, Michael, what you been playing? Uh, same thing as last time. Uh, I would say last week, but it's actually been three weeks since we recorded. But uh, the still gloomhaven. The viewers don't need to know that. <laughs> yes, the viewers do not need to know this. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm still playing Gloomhaven. Unlocked my fourth character. I've played a couple missions with them so far. They're a lot of fun. But uh, our board gaming group is trying to organize a day where we play Dune. So hopefully by the Ooh. next podcast, I will be able to report on that. The new edition? Yep, the new edition of Dune. Is Gloomhaven the only game you get to play? Uh, n- currently, yes, because we're trying to beat it. I gotcha, but w- I gotcha. But one of our friends is actually... Uh, so one of our friends took on more work this semester at school. So he's really busy and he hasn't been joining us. But he has spring break this week. So we are meeting this week and playing other stuff. So I will actually have other games to play. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gloomhaven yeah. gives you a lot of content. There's, what, 99 missions in the base box? You can't play all 99? Spoilers. Uh, right, because they're branching paths. Exactly, exactly. But there is effectively 99 missions, and we've done a lot of the side ones. Have you done any of the procedurally generated ones? They, um... Uh... It comes we with have decks not. of cards, yeah. We have not. Okay. No, I was just curious. So what have you been playing, David? I've been playing a lot of games with Ellen. We played Calico. Uh, we got to go over to our friend's house a couple of times in the last few weeks, and I taught taught them how to play Scythe. So I got to play Scythe as well. Ooh, my favorite uh, game. I was talking about... We were, we were mentioning uh, Rise of Fenris last cast but uh that still remains unplayed shame i played uh, irish gauge on saint patrick's day oh very nice i played the welcome to spring map on easter how does that differ from regular welcome to so welcome to is the flip and write game where you're flipping up cards writing numbers and numbering your houses on a street and the spring edition adds an Easter egg mini game to it where you're trying to circle eggs on your street that are printed on your player sheet uh, with numbers. So you can only circle the eggs with sixes, nines, eights, and zeros. And it's, it's really tricky because it forces you to put numbers in certain spots where you wouldn't normally want to put a 10 or where you wouldn't normally want to put a six. Does the point system of the eggs actually help you win? Yes. I've played a couple of mini-maps for Welcome To, uh, little mini-expansions, and they all add one rule to change for writing the numbers on the streets. The egg one is fun. I think I prefer the winter version, which is uh, lights on the street, so you get extra points for your streets based on the longest string of consecutive numbers you have on the street. That's a fun Mm. one, too. I think I've played that one a few more times than the Easter one, but... Tis the season. Tis the season, indeed. When we record this. <laughs> so when we went over to 
I went over to my in-laws for Easter this weekend. I also got to play a game. We brought over all of our springiest related games. Got to play a round of Dominion while not springy. Uh, that was suggested by my father-in-law. <laughs> uh, if you play, which was it, Hinterlands? What's the, the most springy of, of the expansions? Possibly Cornucopia, but I could see you make an argument. See you making an argument that being fall related. I guess that's true, because that's when the harvest is. Yeah, we also played a round of parks with the Nightfall expansion. That is, in my opinion, an essential expansion, especially for two players. Um, I have most... looked at parks so many times whenever I'm at the store, especially it's... since it's one of those. Uh, uh, it's one of those uh, Target board games. And so there it is at another store that I'm at, just staring me down. I don't know if you would like it because you complained about that expansion for Champions of Midgard, opening up the worker placement of Champions of Midgard too much so it wasn't too difficult. If you can't get a higher number of players for parks, it's very open. But what Ellen and I like about it is it allows you to buy more parks, achieve more parks, which is always the fun aspect of the game is doing more stuff and yeah the, uh, i might have to try it out and andrew has it i have it you can I find have it you can find a brother who has it <laughs> you could have it i could be my own brother <laughs> you could be your own brother i guess should we mention for our listeners at home that we're not just two brothers <laughs> that's right viewers we are one of six the game of the cast this podcast's game that i want to highlight is everdell for a few reasons. One, it's a great game. And two, I built up to it last podcast and never talked about it. Came so close so many times. I came so close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, know if you saw this, but Everdell just finished their Kickstarter. Their their newest edition. Raised almost $5 million. They were selling the co- complete collection for $200, which sounds expensive, but it's an insanely low price for the board game, five expansions, all the Kickstarter exclusive add-ons. It was insane. I debated getting that and then selling all the stuff that I have when when it got here. Everdell is a beautiful worker placement game for two to four players. It's a beautiful worker placement game for one to four players because it has a solo mode. Uh, I, I believe one of the expansions actually makes it a six-player game, but I think with four players it gets a little lengthy, and six players would just be a little too much. I'm assuming, uh, because the uh, the expansion that lets it play up to six players is the only expansion I don't have. So what would you say your favorite things about the board game are? I think some of my favorite games are engine-building worker placement games, and I think Everdell just has that in spades. It's dead simple. On your turn, you only have three options. Place a worker, buy a card, or season up. And the game only lasts for four seasons. And as long as you can keep your engine running, you can keep playing until you either run out of actions to take or fill up your tableau. Because you can only play a total of 15 cards. So that's another thing that you have work on your mind. I think it has a great arc to the whole game. I remember playing, for my first time, reading the rules where it said you can only have 15 cards in your tableau. And season one, you have two workers. And getting 15 cards seems impossible. 
By season four, you have six workers because you gain workers as you season up. And you you have to make choices of what cards am I going to play? Which ones are going to give me the most benefit? And I, I like... And then you take it back to how in summer you uh, built the courthouse and you're wondering why. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a bad example because the courthouse is an always build for me. <laughs> I, I just named one of your favorite cards. I, I was just calling you out. <laughs> yeah, the courthouse is an always build for me. Some common critiques of Everdell are that it's a little lucky because you got a deck of cards in there. And my response to that is, who cares? You know, sure, it's lucky. You may get the right cards you need to win. But it's mechanically sound, and it's incredibly satisfying when you get certain combos to play off. And I think there's enough cards in that deck that even if you don't get the exact combo you're looking for, you can find a unique interaction between cards and create a little bit of an engine that's uh, that's that's fun for just you. And I think it's important to say that you're not building a singular engine um, because cards build off of each other. You may have taken a card at one point to get a certain other card later, but also taken a different card to get a completely other other card later. And so you have all these options you could be waiting for instead of just waiting for the castle or whatever, Mm -hmm. or big points. You could also be waiting for other options as well. I do like the mechanic of critters versus buildings. What is it? I do like the mechanic of constructions versus critters, where if you play a construction, it lets you play a specific critter for free. However, if you don't find that construction, you can still pay to play that critter. So if you need a if you need a specific benefit from a critter right now, you can do that. You can you can get that critter out on the board. And I think it's just it's just mechanically sound. It's gorgeous on the table. People will stop and stop and ask what you're playing. There's something special about setting up a big tree on the table where anybody can see the tree on your table across the entire game store. I have seen complaints of people saying that it blocks the table, and it's true. It it's totally true that the tree is unnecessary. I have never played without it. I was gonna say, I disagree. Completely <laughs> <is> necessary. <laughs> I can't imagine playing that game without the tree. <laughs> it might be one of the cutest games out there. It's definitely. I mean, I believe it's uh, pronounced Andrew Bosley. Yeah, his art is fantastic throughout the game and all of its expansions. I do I do like the fact that Everdell has several expansions and two more coming next year with the conclusion of their most recent very successful Kickstarter. They recommend that you play the game with only one expansion at a time, which can be a little frustrating because sometimes you have to sort, sort the cards out of the deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Pearlbrook, Spirecrest doesn't add any cards into the deck, but I just ignore that, and I play Meg Everdell, and I put all the boards around it that I can. But uh, the tree blocks the view. The board is the board for Everdell is massive. All the sideboards just add on more space. 
Each player has a 15-card tableau, so you need about an acre of table space. Uh, you need about an acre of table space if you're going to play this game. Thankfully, my friends have that much space in their table. I do for a two-player game, and I will shortly for a more-player game with the arrival of my board game table this weekend. American dream, having enough room for all board games. Yeah, that is the American dream. Or at least the board game famous dream. A board game famous dream. Send us board game tables. <laughs> <laughs> the board game famous dream, to have enough space for all the free board games we're going to get. Alright, let's talk about our next segment. What's the next segment? Road to the 100! So did you play any games in BGG's Top 100? Well, BGG's Top 100 fluctuates based on new games coming in and going out. So a few years ago, for Christmas, my in-laws got me a scratch-off poster of a freeze frame of the top 100 as of August 21st, 2019. You're going to have to re-say that. You said 21st. I am not going to have to re-say that. There is a typo on my poster. <laughs> what? It is as of August 21st, 2019. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how I always say it. <laughs> I thought you just made a mistake. <laughs> Nope, didn't have a stroke. <laughs> There's a typo. <laughs> they just need a little bit more quality control. So when I got this poster, I, I scratched off about 30 games, as that's what I had played at the top 100 at the time. And now I'm on a mission to scratch off every single game on that list. Recently, I was searching through Board Game Arena online, and I found out that they have quite a few of the games on there like a surprising amount of the top 100 and it may only be like 10 but that's still 10% of the top 100 on a free to play website so I sent out a call to the brothers and asked if anybody wanted to play one of the top 100 that's on board game arena with me so I got to play Puerto Rico for the first time and got to scratch that one off Puerto Rico is almost a genre-defining Euro game, I would say. It has had impacts throughout the gaming, the gaming hobby for years. It is the board game that has been number one on Board Game Geek for the longest period of time. While not currently number one, it still holds that honor. So yeah, I was eight when that game came out. <laughs> uh, so obviously I didn't, count, uh, didn't play it whenever it came out. But... Having played it whenever I got older, there are so many things about that game that feel modern. It's design, I mean, it's art style is not one of them. Uh, <laughs> well, I believe I believe Puerto Rico came out before artists were around in the board game hobby. <laughs> I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But the me mechanically, it does feel very modern. Yeah, uh, it has... It, it I, is, what, 19 years old at this point? Right. I feel like it it hadn't aged a day. Yeah. Some games don't don't age well. They just speak you, they just show their age. They re, you realize how fiddly they are. You don't have the patience for some of the mechanics. And it just it just works really well. I was glad I had played it. Though uh we did mention NPI's fantastic colonialism video. 
Um, uh, Puerto Rico doesn't have the friendliest of themes. I have heard mutterings of a reprint with a different theme. And honestly, the mechanics could be anything. It's a, it's a Euro game. The mechanics don't really match the theme. Doesn't need but, to be another Euro game about colonialism. Exactly. One of my favorite board games is Twilight Imperium, and the third edition took the uh, role selection from Puerto Rico, and that is one of the most fun parts of Twilight Imperium, is those role action cards that it added. So it, it was interesting to see where where one of my favorite games got its mechanics, and I played Puerto Rico, and I understand how it earned its spot in the top 100. Absolutely. It is It is still a good game. It holds up. Would so, recommend. So, uh, my opinion of Puerto Rico, sketchy theme, top 100 approved mechanic-wise. Fun game. They're slaves. Let's let's just be honest. Yeah, they're, they're slaves. The round cubes, cubes are slaves. And this week on Brother Talk... We're talking about board gaming etiquette. Board gaming etiquette. Super simple stuff. Michael, you were the one who suggested this topic. Do you have something uh, in particular you want to discuss? So, in the before times, I used to spend a lot of time at my local board gaming store. At least once a week, I would be there playing board games with people. And while I have a regular group of people that I would play with, um, there was a wide variety of people that I enjoyed playing with that I saw there all the time. You know, my regular day was Wednesday. Uh, that's actually, you know, how I started meeting people once I moved to the city, was playing board games there. And uh, I've met a lot of great people through this. Uh, and I've learned a lot of, you know, the unspoken rules of board gaming etiquette. And so I figured that, you know, that'd be an interesting topic to bring up of, you know, the do's and don'ts of what to do when playing board games with other people. You know, like, what are things you have to do and what thing are things you should never do? Uh, you know, things are a little bit different uh, depending on where you are, but, you know, these are generalities. Like, uh, I think I think my number one is if you play a board game with someone, you should help them clean it up. That's interesting. Uh, I agree with that for the most part. Uh, as somebody who always provides the board games, I did get tired of picking up all the board games by myself at the end where I instituted a rule the winner picks up the board game because everybody would get up and leave like nope nope winner has to stay and pick up see However, we, we usually have an, we usually have an interesting rule where it depends on the owner because people like to organize their board games in particular ways and so the owner of the board game needs to be there. And so you know certain pieces need to get stacked a certain way. You know, the money You know that this resource needs to go into that resource bag. But in general, I think the purpose of everyone staying around the table is to combine all those things that you've spread around and used throughout the game and put them in a way that the owner can start putting them into the box the way they like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly but, what I was going to say. A do that I have is do pay attention. Don't, uh, don't, I don't mind people who get on their phone, but when people are on their phone for every single turn except theirs, and when it gets to them, they ask, what's going on? That's on you. I, I think my big phone was, my big phone policy for board gaming is during the teaching phase, 
No phones. All phones in your pockets, turned over, whatever. No phones during the teaching phase. Everyone needs to have focus. During the actual game, you know, you can just check some things. We'll get some stuff. Some games require constant attention. Some games don't. It's just the way they are. I am not easily annoyed, but I was annoyed. Hopefully, uh, hopefully my in-laws aren't watching this one. <laughs> hopefully the in-laws don't listen to this one podcast. I was annoyed when I, we were playing with my in-laws this last week because they were watching a March Madness game while we were playing. Gonzaga versus UCLA? Yes. I'm not a big sportser, as you know, uh, and how everybody should know because I just used the term sportser. But is that the buzzer beater shot? Yeah. That happened while we were playing Parks. Oh. <laughs> so... It was, it was one of their players' turn, and two of the five people that were playing were just ignoring the game for five or six minutes. And it was later than I normally play board games, so I, I was getting a little annoyed at that. Um, yeah. I'm coming from the side of, I don't care about sports, so yeah, what they were doing was just, oh, man, that, that really annoyed me. I, I, do, I do care about sports, and during... Uh, my friends have scheduled uh, game days during important sports bowl events, and I have told them straight up that I will be having a laptop which is muted or quiet close to me, so that <laughs> nobody else can he- so that nobody else can hear. I think a positive do habit or board game etiquette: always thank the owner, always thank the person who taught. You know, it's like you don't have to enjoy the game, and you can tell them that. I was like, uh. That game was okay. Had this Christ, but thank you for doing it, you know. A, a do that I have is respect the owner's wishes of the game. So if the owner wants you to be more careful with their components, don't roll your eyes. You gotta you gotta listen to the owner. Specifically, uh, always ask how they want you to shuffle cards. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, that's a good one. Because a lot of people never want you to bridge shuffle their cards. Yeah, that's a that's a big no for my cards. Uh, yeah, I have trouble with Magic players playing Dominion with me because all Magic players bend the card in half to lay it on the table just to snap it down, and oh man, that gets under my skin. Yep. So uh, one one of the reasons I brought up the uh, always ask the owner how, of the game how they want their game treated. I don't sleeve my cards. And I don't mind if people eat while I play while they play with my games. It's I trust people to be adults around my copies of games. And one of my good friends one time, I wasn't mad at him, but he really abused that rule a little bit because he uh, we were playing a game during lunch, and he was eating chicken wings while we were playing oh. Dominion. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and, and, so he had wing in one hand, hand of cards in the other hand. So and so close to trouble. It was, it was. And he knew he knew my policies and everything like that. And I looked, I, I just evaluated the, the situation, took a step outside of that and went, you're fine because you know my rules, you're respecting my rules. But if this was anybody other, anybody else's games, they might have had a heart attack. I think my biggest slip up you know just just to say that i'm not always perfect is you know in that same line 
is like whether or not you allow drinks on the table. And I mm-hmm. have actually accidentally spilled a beer from a cup onto a board game. Thankfully, nothing was permanently damaged and the game was fine. I was uh, a guy asked me if I wanted to play a game. I said, "Yeah, sure, I'd, I'd love to play a game." Uh, I can't even remember which board game it was. And I sat down at the table. He went through all the trouble of teaching me. We were only a couple rounds in, and I knocked over my mostly full beer, and the trail of the beer just skimmed the edge of some of the components. Oh And man. I immediately leapt out of the chair, ran to the mm-hmm. paper towels, and basically threw them at the guy. Uh, yeah, I I just like after that I just try to keep drinks on the floor, like in a cup holder, or somewhere else, as best as possible. I have kicked over several drinks, but I've kicked them over because I always keep my drink on the floor when I'm playing a game. Yep, I would rather <laughs> I would rather ruin carpet. Yeah, than yeah. Carpet than ruin someone's board game. One board gaming etiquette thing that I want to talk about is it's not like a do or a don't. I like to trash talk, and it's hard to to feel out that that trash talk with uh, with with a new group of players. I remember when we worked together one summer in Colorado. Oh, that was a different time. We played a game with somebody who was from another country. We were playing with a person from China, and they were so excited to learn the game, and they were having so much fun, but they couldn't understand. Why you and I were swearing at each other <laughs> and calling each other names. And not nice names. <laughs> and not nice names. Why Why would you do that? I thought you guys were friends. Oh, we are friends. This is what friends do. And we may have corrupted him a little bit because the next game I, I distinctly remember him yelling, Die, die, die! Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about... And I'm going to pose a hypothetical situation. Say you are playing a game with, you know, four or five people. And you feel like, you know, the score is more visible than in this game than other games. And first and second place are pretty close. And you're the player in third place and you're not going to win. Do you take an action to kingmake? Or do you take an action that specifically only betters your position? What do you do as a third place player, or lower, in this scenario? Do you only take actions that improve your position? If I'm in last place, I, I, I will attack whoever. It doesn't matter. I'll hurt whoever. Because I'm in last place. That is the Kingmaker's Dilemma. And I think... My group of players will take null turns and let two duke it out over one. Um, it comes up it comes up more often than you would think in Dominion, which is our go-to yeah. lunch game around the office. While we are a very sm- we play the same four or five people play Dominion over and over and over. We've developed our own gaming culture, our own gaming etiquette through this game as w- specifically and we look up what the broader competitive dominion culture is online the broader competitive dominion etiquette and we just laugh at it because we don't agree that's not what our culture is for example somebody once said 
Dominion is best played with two players. Which may be true, competitively speaking. But we're constantly with playing with five, six, God forbid I've played with eight one time. That's a house rule you don't want to use. So we, do, we don't rule. It, it, it comes up quite a bit where one person could buy the last province, but second place hasn't had an equal number of turns and they could win. You, we might take a null turn. I've never played that kind of strategy before. <laughs> that was that was something we had looked up. Somebody had written an article on competitive dominion saying like if you're playing with more than two people and you're in third place or like third or fourth or lower and you can't win, you should be taking null turns for the rest of the game and we went, "What? <laughs> what if it's a long game?" Exactly. Exactly. If you're already out of it, cuz I played uh, Twilight Imperium 4, 4th edition once where I knew I was not going to win early. I was playing that bad. I want everyone to know I, lo- I won my last game of Twilight Imperium, so... I lost but... my last game of Twilight Imperium, but I had only had four hours of sleep the night before, so I'm blaming it on that. Yeah, so basically I was I was doing horribly in Twilight Imperium. I'm not na- taking null turns. I'm going to tr- do whatever I can to score points. <laughs> oh, I yeah. want... I want some serotonin in my brain for moving <laughs> my cube up that slider track, alright? That's that's my goal in that game. Did like, I maybe ever... I'm only gonna get the four. That's how bad I was doing. I only got the four. My first game ever of TI4, I scored one point. And I just thought oh. to myself, I can only go up from here. <laughs> I think I was at two after many, many turns, but yeah. <laughs> In the last in the last game of Twilight Imperium, I that I won, a guy made a deal with me, and I just straight up told him, and I didn't know why he wanted to make the deal. Uh, maybe he had some secret information, obviously, that he thought that even ma- taking this bad deal was going to be good for him somehow. I told him like, this is a bad deal, you are going to regret it, and he still took the deal <laughs> and I ended up winning. So. Because I had a, I had a secret objective card that he didn't know that I had. How do you feel about... So, this is going back to... Getting back more on topic for etiquette. As the board game teacher of my group, should I try and win the game? Or should I be focusing on giving advice to other players throughout the game? You should try to win the game. But I think for the first third of the game, you should also be explaining the impact of people's decision based on the kinds of games that we play. And that's what I often do. And for new players, new players joining a veteran group, uh, they will often ask, what should I do here? And we will honestly say, you should attack me. I have this, this pile of resources right here that's undefended. You should come at me. Or you should go at this person, and then we'll give that person a chance to, to defend themselves with an argument saying, I don't think so, I don't have this much power, this is what I'm worried about, things like that. Yeah, I mean, whenever I played Great Western Trail for the first time, um, my friends helped me. It's like, oh, if you're going to place a building, you should place it here for X reason. And they kind of helped me through the first little bit of it. And, you know, I was like, oh, this game's all about shipping cows. Just get cows shipped. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. 
and, and they helped me through the first little bit. And then once I got a hang of it, and you know, by the mid game, I'm on my own. So now it's time for another board gaming missed connection. This world is full of board gamers, and it's sometimes hard to tell who's who. I was on a train ride from St. Louis to Kansas City. Ellen was in Kansas City, and I was going to meet her there. As a uh, very, very introverted person, I don't normally talk to people, so I was not talking to the person sitting next to me. Until she reached over and asked if she could plug her charger in, and I said, yes, go ahead, here, let me help you, I plug your charger in. She got her phone charging. She looked at me and said, thank you for doing that, I didn't want to miss any messages about game night. And I said, oh, game night? Are you going to Kansas City for the Super Bowl? This was 2020. This was Kansas City Chiefs. Was the was their first time in the Super Bowl in how many years? Uh, 50 years. In 50 years. Yep. So I asked if she was excited about the Super Bowl. Because, you know, I was headed to Kansas City. I made a logical assumption. And she said, no, I don't really care about sports. I'm going for a board game night. We then proceeded to spend the next three hours of the train ride just talking about board games, as that's one of the only subjects I can talk ad nauseum for. And about 30 minutes into the trip, she invited me to that board game night. She invited Ellen and I, actually. She was like, oh, you and your wife should come out tonight with us. I did not take her up on that offer, but I could have had a whole new group of board gaming friends in Kansas City. And that is another board gaming missed connection. That's kind of sweet. It is sweet. Yeah, she was really nice. Board gamers are usually nice people. What nice people? Board gamers are nice people. Speaking of nice people, it's time to get another question out of our letters from listeners. So this week's question is, what board game has the best weight-to-weight ratio physical pounds to complexity but the the vagueness comes from the term best because how complex do you like your games because i like very complex games it's not a question of what i like necessarily but what i but i think is the best it's how you want to interpret best oh honestly for me i think it might be gloomhaven because it is incredibly heavy, so that you already got your uh, you got one side that's very weighted. And while it is complex, there are a lot of moving parts. You have the campaign to go through. You have mission after mission to play. You can level up your characters. The core mechanic of Gloomhaven is incredibly simple. All you need is one person who's familiar with all the little tiny little rules of Gloomhaven. And then very new gamers can enjoy Gloomhaven. Oh, choose two cards, pick a top action of one, pick a bottom action of the other. I will take care of all the admin. Uh, well, I was going to go on the opposite end, and I was going to say Skulls. Uh, probably just because it weighs super, super light. But it's a so, very light game, so it might have a very... very light game, and it's very complicated. In fact, I think I might go weigh my copy of Skulls. I'll be right back. <laughs> So I just weighed my copy of Skulls, 
and it weighs 375 grams. I think gram for gram, that is one of the most complex games. I've had, I've had a lot of fun and complexity out of that game. I'm also out of breath, breath from running through my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> the complexity from that game comes from trying to read other people, not from the exactly. rules. Just wanted to cl clarify for the viewers at home. Uh, simple rules, complex strategies. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, it's just like poker. It's like mini poker. I'm gonna give a. I think I'm gonna give a second option for that answer as well, where um, I believe that Glass Road is a good option for weight to complexity. It's a smaller sized box, so not ticket to write style, but more one of those tall and skinny kind of splendor-esque size boxes it's yeah. jam-packed full of stuff so it's heavy for that size of box but it gives you a complex euro style board game in a small affordable package that can be played in a short amount of time so that's my other that's my other interpretation of best yeah i can see that it's designed by Uwe Rosenberg, and from what I understand, people also recommend Nusfjord. What? Nusfjord. It's a small fishing village in, I believe, Iceland? Nusfjord is definitely uh, uh, a Nordic language. Oh, uh, Reykholt's in Iceland. I don't know where... Reykholt is another Uwe Rosenberg game. I don't know where Nusfjord takes place. This has been another board game famous podcast with your hosts... David and Michael, the best board gaming brothers, and I'm including the brothers Murph. They're chumps compared to us. They didn't get back to our gauntlet because they must be scared. So very scared. <laughs> if you have any questions for us, please contact us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com.